0: Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply.
1: Space. The final frontier. These are the voyages of the Starship Enterprise. Its continuing mission. To explore strange new worlds. Boldly go where no one has gone before. Engage. Engage. Enterprise. Enterprise. This is Captain Jean-Luc Picard. Captain Catherine Janeway. Captain Sisko. This is Captain Jonathan Archer. Specialist Burnham. Red alert. Photon torpedoes. Fire. The official Star Trek podcast. Engage. Engage. Make it so. With your host, Jordan Hoffman. That, sir, is illogical. And make sure that history never forgets. This is Engage. Shailing frequencies open, sir.
2: Hello everyone, welcome to Engage, the official Star Trek podcast. I am your host, Jordan Hoffman, at Jay Hoffman on Twitter, at J-H-O-F-F-M-A, and with me as always is Engineer Brian. Hello, Brian. Hey, Jordan, how are you? I'm doing great, man. Let me tell you, today, New York City, rain, what were you, this is a tropical, not a tropical storm. Nor'easter. <laughs> the exact opposite it's, of a tropical storm. It's a Nor'easter with the potential to become a bomb cyclone. Which yeah. Is it new weather terminology that I feel like they made up last month. The ratings were hot on Bomb Cyclone. They they (laughs) gave us the first one in January. Now, it's like Black Alert. It's the new alert. It's the new cyclone. Black Alert. There it is. Black Alert. There's the Bomb Cyclone. (laughs) Uh, So, yeah, uh, getting here was rough. It was rainy. It was gross. And I'm whining about it. Uh, But I'm happy to be here with you. We've got a great show today i'm hoping there's a woman who's uh, going to be on our program today uh not in the studio and we'd like to have them in the studio but this woman lives over in old blighty great britain the united kingdom in the city of london i believe uh if not in nearby uh her name is Erin Horakova, and Erin horikova is a very interesting writer and um pop culture critic and an academic, and uh, blends the two. And a while ago, I've been. We the first time I emailed Aaron was had to have been last summer, and I was like, "Aaron, we got to get you on the show." And she's like, "Great!" And then me being me, I kind of just uh, I let it slide. Brian, I let it slide. It happens sometimes. <laughs> well, what happened was Discovery got went on the air. That is and very I, true. I got sidetracked, and then we had a lot of cool guests, and then. I was trying – so next thing you know, now it's March, and Erin is finally coming on the show today. Erin uh, Horikova, and you can read her work. Uh, the article that we're going to be discussing particularly is uh, was a big deal on the the geek, Geekosphere. Uh, it's called Freshly Remembered, Freshly Remembered uh, with an, a, a little apostrophe because she writes uh, about the classics. Uh, Kirk Drift. And what is Kirk Drift? You kind of know what it is immediately – The perception of Captain Kirk in our minds, in our collective unconscious, has changed from the actual text, so argues Aaron, and we'll discuss it with her. But before we get to that, um, this being the official Star Trek podcast, we have people listening of all ages. I know that we have people who are very young who listen and are some of their first Star Trek is now. Is is the new are the new films or the you know the the, the trilogy the relatively new trilogy, Kelvin timeline is like to call it, and uh, also Discovery is like their first trek. We have a few people that are older than 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 me, who watch TOS in original uh, original run. uh, I'm a little younger than that, though not much. But I do think that the bulk of the viewers, sorry, the bulk of the listeners. Uh, around my age. You know, they were uh, young people discovering Star Trek at that golden moment that I did, which was uh, 1986-87. Some really exciting things happened, which was Star Trek IV, The Voyage Home, came out in theaters. Big success. Great movie theater movie. Very funny, very engaging. I remember that first screening that I saw at a movie theater in Monmouth County, New Jersey that's now a uh, uh a um, a gym. Oh. A Wow gym? Is that a that's a chain? A yeah, actually, the theater I used to go to a lot when I was a kid in Staten Island is also now a gym. Is it a Wow gym? No, it's I think it's an LA Fitness. LA Fitness. LA Fitness. Nice. In New York. I know it's in Staten Island. That's yeah. the, it's dangerous. Um so uh right next to the dump too. Just <laughs> might I might add. Staten Island, let me tell you folks, <laughs> is fine. Staten Island's fine. But when I was young, since I'm being nostalgic, I'm mean, this is all a big wind-up to me being nostalgic about something. When I was a young lad, and when anybody in the 80s up until the 90s, when you drove through per- certain parts of Staten Island, there was a smell that I've never smelled anywhere else and I've never smelled since. <laughs> because you drove through what were called the Fresh Kills... Dump. The Fresh Kills Fields or whatever. Landfill. Landfill. Thank you. And it was right where the New Jersey, New Jersey Turnpike from central New Jersey and the Jersey Shore. If you're going into Manhattan, if you're going into New York City, you would drive through and the, there was like a valley. You were in a valley and all, so you were surrounded by these mountains of garbage. Yeah. And, you know, there's garbage. Like when you leave the garbage in, in your kitchen too long, it starts to stink. When you when you go past a garbage can in a restaurant, it's been there all day, it starts to think, this was not garbage thing. This was like intergalactic nuclear stench yeah. that I cannot describe. Yeah, and unfortunately, I didn't grow up that far away from there. <laughs> well, that was just the thing. Maybe it explains a lot. <laughs> that was just the thing, because I grew up in New Jersey, and I had a lot of friends who grew up in Long Island. And they're the same thing. I mean, uh, some parts of Jersey are different. If you're right by the beach, if you're in the southern Jersey or outside Philly, a, there are, you know it's called the Garden State. There are some farms in Jersey, um, and then there's much more metropolitan areas, like Newark and Jersey City. <coughs> but um, there was sort of suburbs and exurbs where I grew up, which is a lot like Staten Island, a lot like Long Island, and a lot like Staten Island, uh, all. Around New York City, the five boroughs of New York, which if you're listening and you don't know what that is, the five sections of New York. Manhattan is the big one. Brooklyn, Queens, the Bronx, and Staten Island. So, they were all very similar except Staten Island had this one difference. It just reeked. And I remember always feeling bad because I we didn't have any friends that lived in Staten Island, but I would always be like, the people who live here, like, if, if you're downwind of this... It's terrible. So, do you, you remember the stink I'm talking about? Now It's yep. not there anymore. They got rid of it somehow. Yeah, it, now it's like reclaimed land. Uh, and <laughs> it sounds like something <laughs> from the for the paradise of we reclaim this land. You know. <laughs> um. But so you were you remember the stink? Can you? Oh, can, yeah. can you like play it? Like you can play back sounds in your head. Can you yeah. play the stink back? Uh, unfortunately, yes. Actually, yeah. your description really brought me back. Honestly, yeah. <laughs> Um, now when you were growing up it would be like the winds would if it was a regular day it would be fine but if, it, if the winds moved a certain way, your backyard would just reek right. Um, uh, we weren't that close but I mean in order to get from like my, like my relative's house to back to home, back home, we would have to like go down the highway that was like right along it. So yeah. we would, so every time we went anywhere we'd be passing it. Yeah, it's heavy duty. <laughs> All right, so why am I talking about this? What brought this? I up? I have no idea. <laughs> All right I was talking about people my age. Why did I mention Staten Island? Oh God! Well, I hope you're enjoying the Star Trek podcast. I am. I'm building to something. The people that are around, a lot of people are around my age, listen to this show, or a little bit younger. The point I'm making is there's a movie that came out in 1982, 83. That was a big movie that I don't think I ever saw in the theater. I think I missed it, but I saw it on HBO 500,000 times. And last night I saw it in a the theater. I saw it uh, at the Alamo Draft House in Brooklyn, which um, is a regular movie theater, but they also do a lot of revivals. Like every other day they do something old. And sometimes it's an esoteric, weird Italian horror film, or it's a classic like Casablanca. Or they are doing something like this. I saw Matthew Broderick in War Games last oh, night. Oh, wow. <laughs> Big nostalgia point for people that are my age or Brian's Age, or somewhere in between. And let me tell you something. It is not just nostalgia. This movie is so damn good. And it probably hits a lot of Star Trek fans because it was early computers. And a lot of Star Trek fans of that era were early adapters. So much of the internet in the early days was, you know, you went online, it was pornography, (laughs) neo-Nazi paraphernalia, and propaganda, (laughs) or star trek you 're always you're always one click away from you know white supremacist hate groups or somebody arguing on a message board about Kirk versus Picard um, that is just the facts war games is so great it 's not perfect there's a couple scenes that i didn't there's a couple aspects of it that were kind of dopey, but um the use of computers in it is just so much fun to watch giant floppy disks, a modem where you had to <laughs> stick the telephone receiver into it uh there's a scene where he has to phone freak right he's at a he's at a phone booth he doesn't have a coin so he takes a pull tab from a beer and then again dating it to the early 80s and he holds it up to the metal and he's able to get a signal really cool but also visually really interesting i mean seeing it on a big screen uh Some of those shots at the end were just just really well made. The cutting of the the big freak out when Joshua, the computer, simulates global thermonuclear war. Really cool stuff. So I'm I'm just – the only reason I'm bringing this up is because if you're nostalgic for the movie War Games and you're worried that it's not as good as you remember, because boy howdy, there are movies that we are nostalgic for that if you watch them again, they suck. The Goonies.
1: Certainly. I You know, I, I bought that a couple of years back, and I, it's still in the plastic again, because so I wanted
0: to.
2: Because no. my wife had never seen it. <laughs> Letter- and then we never got around to So maybe we shouldn't watch it. There are some that just suck. And then there are some that do need to be seen in a big screen. I'll give you another example from the same era. The Dark Crystal. Oh, well, that, that just came around. Does not really work, for me anyway, mm-hmm. on DVD, Blu-ray streaming but because i tried watching it again not that long ago i'm like Ugh. but then i saw it at the um, museum of the moving image in astoria queens uh on 35 millimeter and it was perfect i mean when wow. you could see it you could see the tactile nature of the s- 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 skex s- ske- s- or whatever that thing is called ske- ske- yeah, you know what i'm talking about nah, yeah yeah nah, nah, that guy <laughs> so um Sometimes nostalgia, sometimes the things we think are are so but I'm here to say, I'm here to report. Let it be known. War games is as good as you remember. So thank God for that, all of us aging Gen Xers, we can we can be happy about that. Something else we can be happy about before we talk to our friend Aaron is uh what's going on with our friends at Eagle Moss. I think uh listeners of the show know that Eagle Moss has something as a great company that does special die-cast models. And they have something called the Official Star Trek Starships Collection. And uh, this is something that is officially authorized by CBS Studios. And the Official Star Trek Starships Collection is available only through Eagle Moss. It's the ultimate collection of vessels from across the Star Trek universe. From the original series to Star Trek Beyond and Beyond. Each model is cast in a specially formulated metallic resonant hand-painted with reference to the actual... CG models used in production and when they exist, photos from the original studio models. When they made these things, they went to the source. They went to the vault. Said, let's not just pretend. Let's really do it. So it's a it's a, um, it's a subscription service. When you sign up, you get two models monthly. They're beautiful. They're not too big. They're not too small. They fit there right there on your desk or your shelf. <laughs> and with it, you get a really great dossier, a glossy magazine for each ship. Now, it starts... And it goes deep, like a ship that was in one episode for one millisecond will eventually be on the Eagle Moss collection. They, they have everything there. You know, the Vulcan science ships, Neelix's Talaxian junk cruiser, everything. But it starts off with the Enterprise-D, and it's only five, $4.95 with shipping, free shipping. You can get, and you can cancel your subscription anytime, but why would you? You go to st.starships.com slash engage, saint starships Dot com slash engage cool so check that out and now brian let's call our friend in london because this is going to be a hoot she's a lot of fun brilliant woman uh i'm going to pretend to to keep up with her because she's a lot smarter than i am but i'm gonna do my best to stay in this conversation let's let's give it a try
0: Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply.
1: This is Engage, Engage. the official Star Trek podcast.
2: And we're back. Thank you again for listening uh, to Engage, the official Star Trek podcast. And today is exciting. We have a special guest. Who um, is not with me in the room, but we're going to patch her in through the miracle of uh, Skype, which, by the way, Brian, is always the best way to communicate with you. There's never any problems. Never any problems whatsoever. Just push a button. Works just like that. (laughs) Just push a button, and they're here. So, um First of all, uh, Lieutenant Uhura open a channel.
0: Lieutenant Uhura open a channel to all Next,
2: Very good. And then through the miracle of Skype, it's going to seem as if she's here. So let's beam her in. Oh shoot, that's the wrong one. Which one is beam? Oh crap. You know, we moved and I don't have my paper with me. I think it's six. I don't know where the paper is.
3: I'm okay with being a red alert subject.
2: Hey, we didn't beam you in yet. <laughs> Maintain the suspension of disbelief, Aaron, please. Okay. Sorry. Okay, let's do this again. Lieutenant Or, I think it's I think it's 8. Damage report. You know, we're just going to do, we're not going to beam you in. We're just going to Skype you in. So, Lieutenant Uhura, open a channel.
0: Lieutenant Uhura, open a channel to all next.
2: And this is great. We've got joining us on the program today, Aaron Horakova. Aaron, hello. Welcome. Hi. It's great to have you here. And uh, Aaron uh, is, as I'm sure uh, many Star Trek fans know, the author of um, a tremendous piece of uh, Star Trek thought. Um, I have to take to call it an essay. I want to call it. Is it a white paper? Is that what the, these things are called in the in the academic world?
3: Uh no,
2: white paper is very governmental.
3: Oh, it man. is. Like white paper suggests, I'm going to be hauled up before Parliament, right? Well, probably, no, but but probably but this, for unrelated reasons. <laughs>
2: <laughs> no, this will be held up. It'll be held up in the in the court of public opinion. Is what I'm trying to say. Uh, Aaron wrote an essay called um, uh, "Kirk Drift." which hit the internet um, a little less than a year ago on the 10th of April, 2017, which, by the way, is a pivotal moment because um, although that's very recent, when it comes to topics of uh, uh, sexuality and topics of uh, sexual consent, which is a big part of this story, it seems like uh, a million years ago, because this was before the... Uh, time's Up movement of today and I do want to ask you uh, if, if you would uh, have any changes to this uh, if you were writing this today but we'll get to that in a moment. Kirk Drift is something that uh, if you haven't read it you know you know what we're talking about immediately and basically uh, and this piece by the way is re- it can be read in um, the, the website strangehorizons.com and um, I'm going to read Allowed. Aaron, I'm going to read your words back to you. I hope you're prepared for that. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> Aaron, um, uh, this is, I don't know, well, this is what we would call the nut graph in journalism. Here we go. You're ready for this. There is no other way to put this, says Aaron Horakova of, of StrangeHorizons.com. There's no other way to put this. Essentially, everything about popular consciousness, Kirk, as in James T. Kirk, is bullshit. Now we need the sound effect. Everything about Popular Consciousness Kirk is bullshit. Kirk, as received through mass culture, memory, and reflected in its productive, imaginary, and subsequent franchise output, including the reboot movies, has little or no basis in Shatner's performance and the television show as aired. Macho, brash Kirk is and this is Aaron speaking, not me, because I don't know if I 100% agree. I think I 80% agree. Is mass hallucination. Wow. And when when that was written, a, a neutron bomb went off. You may remember the Genesis device exploding in the Mutara Nebula. That's what happened in the ecosystem of nerd culture when this marvelous essay was published in August of 2017. And, um... Basically, and I'm gonna I'm gonna let Aaron just to, to kind of describe it because she's the one who wrote the damn thing. Uh, what we think of as Kirk flying around the galaxy, shooting green aliens and kind of being a jerk, is not really Captain Kirk. This is a manipulation of a collective unconscious. And Aaron, when you first published this, did you know that this was going to be? A sensational thing, or did you think this would be just another sort of uh, quasi, you know, ac- uh, you know, just just another blog post, so to speak, about Star Trek? What was your uh, anticipation of writing this piece?
3: Well, in general, the previous developmental sessions, where I seriously and a drunken slur <laughs> ranted to people about it, did not generate much excitement. So <laughs> I sort of thought that that was about, you know, where the audience was going to be hit.
2: Oh. Brian, what we, happened? can you not? Oh, hear me. You oh, cut out for a second. We had it was so good for a second, and then it, and then it cut out. Um, uh, let's just take that again. Uh, you were saying, Aaron, uh, when you first were ramping this up in a drunken, in various pubs, in in uh, yeah,
3: yeah. So the the various pub going populations of England were not deeply moved by it, and admittedly, the articulation may have been somewhat lacking, but. Uh, You know, that sort of gave me the foretaste of the uh, deep apathy that, you know, I I could expect.
2: Fair enough. Um, But when you, uh, but you worked on this for some time, again, I want to stress, this is not a 500, 600 word essay. This is a fairly in-depth piece that is somewhere between pop culture journalism and, uh, you know, academia. I should mention, of course, Aaron, that you are a PhD candidate at Glasgow University, you have your master's degree in c- comparative literature, and uh, some of the language used in this is, um, I'm going to be honest, I had dictionary.com open while I was reading some of this. There's some, uh, some words in here you don't read in blogs like uh, Slash Film and things like that. No offense to my friends at Slash Film. Um, <laughs> no,
3: I think in a way it has to kind of be long because you're sort of attempting to, without being too, like, nastily didactic about it, like introduce a lot of theoretical complex or you know um concepts that some people's education has sort of like pushed them towards exploring and some people just haven't or it's been a while and so you sort of have to like onboard them for that to use hideous corporate language (laughs) and that's going to you know take a minute to do i this is not supposed to be very grousy but i do think it's interesting that you get these sprawling like 90 minute video essay youtube deconstructions And you don't see the comments of those being filled with, like, rah, it was so long. But, like, every time there was uh, some blog post about this or something, it was very, like, well, it is long. And it's like, but it's weird that we don't have a space for nonfiction on the internet, which, you know, doesn't have, you know, like, columns that you have to inch over neatly, like a newspaper, and you have to worry about widows and such. We kind of don't have an idea about nonfiction between like a 600-word reaction post and a book, which is odd because, you know, surely the long read is a thing.
2: Right. It did exist for a while, and it does, and, you know, you can pick up a copy of Harper's and the New Yorker or something, but yeah. it's rarely about the type of uh, material that is so prevalent on the internet, in the particularly in the pop culture space, which is about, you know, Marvel, DC, Star Wars, and Star Trek and Doctor Who and Battlestar Galactica and things like that. Um, Mm. you're absolutely right. You know, it's funny because, um, you know, I write a lot of movie reviews and, you know, they can be, uh, you know, they're usually around 700 words or whatever. And if you were to pick it Mm. up and read it aloud, it would not take you very long to do so. But people are always throwing around TLDR, but then you have some of these quote unquote YouTube critics, uh, Mm. some of which are erudite and have something to say, but some of them just kind of put a, you know, put a camera on and they just blab, And off the top of their heads and about a movie and Mm. it needs to be at least, you know, X amount of minutes long for them to put their ad on the bottom. Right. So they have to stretch it out. And you're right. Nobody really complains. Why is this video so long? And
3: it's interesting because people are willing to sit there through the live stream of a game. And, you know, I'm very interested in, like, Eurogaming, but there is nothing in the world I want to hear about less than your 40th level Paladin. Like, and and people are just very happy to hear about it and to, like, watch somebody play, like, you know, uh, What's out recently? See, I'm dating myself here because I don't really do video games like Witcher 9000 or whatever. Yeah.
2: No, I think I think no, I 100 percent agree. And I think, Aaron, you and I will agree. I think the phrase we're looking for is these damn kids today. (laughs) <laughs> no but it's true though are they, are they watching uh, listen I, playing video games I personally I, you know video games are, are for children that's what I think but a lot of people like my friend Brian here who's the engineer he loves video games I do love video games yeah and uh, some of my some, I don't watch people play video games no that's the other thing like if you go to a buddy's house and he's got the mm-hmm. controller on the Playstation or the Xbox and he's yeah. shooting zombies and aliens and you you're cracking open a Miller Lite and eating some cheese doodles and watching him and hanging out in the basement, and petting the dog, and asking him how his girlfriend is—that uh, is kosher. But for you to be yeah. home and watching um, uh, other people is terrible, and you should feel ashamed. And you should uh, read uh, Dostoevsky <laughs> instead, or, or you know, well, you know, something like that. That's my opinion, and I'm sticking to it. Um, but Aaron, let's get back to um, uh, Kirk Drift. So. Um, the what the first thing that you mention in this uh, mighty uh, column that you've written is uh, people who don't know Star Trek. No, this is what's even worse. People who do know Star Trek and should know better, they think, yeah, Captain Kirk. He's out there flying around in the Enterprise and he's, forgive my coarse language, he's out there banging alien babes. He's banging the girl with the green skin and i think everybody you know that like kirk banging the girl with a, with green skin is like a thing and what you yeah. state upright is you know did captain kirk ever have relations let's let's bring our language down a little bit did captain kirk ever have relations with an alien with green skin and you say uh, no <laughs> Absolutely not. Absolutely not. It is a uh, misremembered, the Mandela effect. Isn't that what they call this now? When you remember something that never actually happened? Uh, it's Cap- yeah, I
3: wasn't quite aware of that beforehand, but then somebody pointed out that movie that everybody thinks they saw was like Shaq as a genie called like, Shazam.
2: Right. Yeah, exactly. It's Kazam and it's. uh, oh, uh, yeah. uh And the Bernstein Bears versus the Bernstein Bears is another famous one. Um, but yeah. no, Captain Kirk in the original series and. William Shatner's Kirk we'll get to the new guy in a minute William Shatner's Kirk interacted interacted with an Orion slave girl once and that was Marta season three in um, the episode called that's Whom Gods Destroy right
3: Hmm. Yeah, I think there's also a crowd scene in which there is a green woman that he does not come in contact with, okay. but he is in the room with a green
2: woman <laughs> at one earlier point. Okay, and Marta does. I mean, Marta's got. First of all, Marta has real emotional problems. You know, let's let's put. Them, yeah. you know, Let's please have some consideration for her. And she does kind of like sit in his lap and do a dance, but he does not have uh, any sort of uh, intimate moments with her.
3: No, what people, painfully trying to explain the entire time. Like, if you show me where the shuttle is, I will get you the help you need.
2: <laughs> but what people are thinking of is the dancing green girl from. Well, it wasn't until much later, until the late nineteen eighties, that the cage ever aired on television. Um, but mm. the episode, the two part episode, the menagerie, which was a, which most people listening to the show know what the menagerie is, but in case you're you're someone who does not watch much Tos. Um, it was the two-parter uh, in which uh, Gene Roddenberry brilliantly repurposed uh, a re- content that was sitting in the vault and took his original pile of the cage with star Jeffrey Hunter as Captain Pike and uh, used that as sort of flashbacks in a courtroom scene because Spock, who had worked with Pike, um, had taken the ship to do something that he promised he would do. Uh, go back to Talos 4. And uh, the memory is of... Pike having a hallucination where uh, an Orion slave girl is dancing for him, but it's not even a real Orion slave girl. It's um, what's her name, pretending to be one, and it's in a it's in a dream sequence anyway. So it's not yeah, even Kirk. It's filters and filters. That's right.
3: what these aliens think he might like because these aliens are misguidedly attempting to hook up this girl with him. They're trying to like to her a bit, and it's not going well.
2: Yeah. So it's 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 funny stuff, and this is to me the most uh, egregious example of Kirk drift, and it's the one that you lead off with, and then you you give a half dozen more examples of how things that the pop culture has sort of put in Kirk's mouth, uh, or put in the character's, uh, you know, I don't know his his uh, Gestalt is that the right word, um, made, you know, is not actually accurate, and that the way that Kirk was played by Shatner in the three seasons of the original series is very, very different than the modern conception. And it took stages. And one stage was when Kirk came back in the original series movies, and there were some changes mm. there. And then, um, uh, it's certainly in the reboot films, but then also Shatner as celebrity in the 70s, mm. 80s. And yeah. really important... uh Now, although it was sort of the icing on the cake for me, uh, was the character of Zap Brannigan. Now, for those who maybe don't know, would you like to tell our listeners who Zap Brannigan is?
3: Uh, So Futurama, um, which is a show, I believe, by some of the creative team behind The Simpsons that takes a sort of schmuck from modern day and transports him into the future to be a schmuck in that new climate. Um, features a captain called Zap Brannigan, who is an obvious Kirk parody, and he has a sort of nebbish Spock parody following him around, pleading with him not to do, like, brash things and attempt to seduce people. And he's wearing the sort of, like, Star Trek mini skirt uniform component, but without pants. So you're sort of treated to his beefy legs. Um, and he is always hitting on Leela, the heroine and destined romantic interest for our schmucky lead. Um, so he is officious to us because, for some reason unknown to me, we want Leela to hook up with this guy.
2: <laughs> and he's, uh, really, uh, you know, he's a sh- he's a villain. I mean, he's like a putz. Uh, he's always kind of getting people into trouble, and he's led by his, uh, you know, he's he's uh, his brains are all in his pants. I mean, he's really all about yeah. just getting and very laid.
3: casually, he gets huge swaths of his crew
2: killed. <laughs> right. <laughs> Um, But, so, there's nothing about him that's Kirk-like, and yet the producers made him uh, an exaggerated Captain Kirk, which is totally unfair to the character that Shatner played in the 1960s. Um, And what's interesting is it's very obviously supposed to be, like, sort of a liberal
3: rethinking of Kirk, and a sort of, like, critique of that character but it's a critique sort of predicated on nothing really, but a sort of like bad reading of the text or a really like sort of belated reading of the text. Like it thinks it's doing this work to rethink the original, but it actually doesn't really have a, a subject for a satire.
2: So the question I have for you is how did this happen? Um, how how did Kirk Drift happen? Do you think, I mean, if if, if you just watch the original three seasons and then that was it and there was never, you know, the continued Star Trek. W- would, would people still think of this character that way? You make a really interesting point uh, in, your, in your piece about uh, Mad Men, which mm. is made now and therefore, uh, uh, you know, has the uh, mindset of people today who are, you know, thinking critically about the 60s and therefore all the men in that show... Are mm. what we think of with Captain Kirk. I mean, Don Draper is a is a womanizer and a, and a, and you know kind of a jerk. He's, he, we understand his he's an understandable jerk at times. We empathize with him, but he's still a jerk. And so are all the other men mm. on that show. Um, and but here's an actual show from the '60s, and Kirk doesn't really act the way that we think men from the '60s act, right? Yeah, I mean the biggest and most enduring
3: example of this is the way that like we collectively use the Victorian age as like a dumping ground of past, like anything that we think of as like a version of sexism. And so you'll see a lot of movies set in that era just as the sixties is used. with these really overt, cartoonish, sexist moments where somebody will turn to the camera and be like, aha, but a female character can never ride ponies. And this girl will toss her long hair and say, I'll show you, I'll show you, I can ride ponies, Papa. And that is sort of like the way that we use the past to feel good about ourselves and to stage narratives. And, you know, if you need to fudge something to tell a story, I'm a bit sort of you know, forgiving of that because I don't really care that in Menagerie I don't know where Spock has these clips from. Like, here we are in the court-martial scene. I have no idea what this tech is. We never see it again. We don't believe, really, that, like, all of Kirk's adventures are being recorded. Um, But that's one thing. But it's supposed to sort of, like, prop up this great sort of, like, complacent comfort with how we handle these issues that we don't really think about too hard and we don't think about it as, like, an ongoing or divisive process because in some ways like in the 1890s if that's when our pony theory is set um you know they had more interesting ideas in some sectors of society about trans rights than we would have for another 50 years for various reasons including sort of like uh, you know nazi related like you know pushback about those ideas so is it fair to say that that's the whole like complexity of thought about gender in eighteen ninety, obviously not. But it is a storytelling device, and then also something to sort of quiet any qualms you may have about your present, which, as contrasted this past, is supposed to look great.
2: Well, I mean, I think one of the things that was really uh, interesting is,, um, you know, the when, when when reading what you wrote, you kind of, you kind of, something was like right in my face, and I didn't even realize it, which was that it's not so much that Kirk wasn't even as much of a womanizer as we think, is that he really wasn't one at all by any standards. I mean, mm. there's the interesting moment in Where No Man Has Gone Before where um, Gary Mitchell is like, Oh, all you did was read books. You were, you know, you were uh, a pair of legs beneath the stack of books. And mm. until I sent that little blonde tootsie your way, you wouldn't, you know, nothing would have ever happened. And he was like, that was you? Like, how dare you send a good, good, girl my way? You know, which is not at all what, what we think about. So, what do you think, do you think that this was on the writers and producers part at the time? Like, look, we've got this handsome guy, William Shatner, right? And we're putting him in a, a beefy costume and clearly he's the male lead and he's going to be the stud so they intentionally i don't want to say neutered him but you know was it sort of like you think it's going to go this way but it's going to go the other way and then our perception has just ignored all that
3: i would almost suggest though that it's not even that inevitable in the time period that you would have a character placed like that be a womanizer in the way we're thinking because like a character who gets around like honestly gets a lot of play is napoleon solo from man from uncle but napoleon solo has better relationships with women than almost any modern male character i can think of <laughs> like he likes women he likes them a lot um but you know he also gets on with them
2: well i mean then so then there's 007 right i mean he's a guy who is a true you know i don't want to say I, I know that in the late 80s when timothy dalton took over the role they made an effort to make him less of a womanizer. This was also the time when like AIDS education was coming in. It was like, "Ah, you can't go around screwing without a condom. We're going to make sure." I think it was the Living Daylights. There was a PR push where it was like, "This is going to be the, m- the movie where 007 only has one girlfriend." And that was like a big deal, <laughs> right? So, I mean, what's your I mean, compare Kirk to 007. They're they're night and day, right?
3: I would really have to, because I did see a couple people really getting on me about like, that's not fair, Bond. And I was like, I don't think I said much about Bond. But I would really have to go back and watch the films and read the books to give like a coherent commentary on that, because all I remember is the snap of one book where he obsessed for two pages about French women's navels. So <laughs> yeah.
2: that's
3: that's about as far as my textual analysis right, right, right. goes. I think I put it down at that point and didn't fair, come
2: back. Fair enough. You know, I haven't I haven't read too much of the Bond books. I know that in the in some of the early ones, I mean, he really is sort of a more brutal guy, and he's got a real drinking problem, and I think he he's abusive to women physically. Um But in the movies, like in the Sean Connery movies, I mean, he is a bit of a of like you know he's slapping girls in the rear end a lot you know there's a there's a youtube montage you can see of all the you know offensive james bond moments from the early films and it's like yeah that like if a character in a movie did that today he would not be considered the hero like that is beyond that is there's playful and then there's a line and then there's on the other side of the line and that and that's kind of where where he lives i mean i know he's saving the world from communism and all, but, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, uh, it's one of those things. Um, but uh, an, another thing that you write about is, uh, you know, uh, there are a number of examples uh, where, you know, people think that Kirk, I mean, even in the, in the script, I'm thinking of particularly of the episode um, The Conscience of the King, which is an episode that I really love. Mm-hmm. And um, Kirk does use romance to kind of get what he needs to get to the bottom of uh, the mystery of that episode. Uh, he, the daughter yeah. of uh, Governor Kodos. Uh, her name is Lenore, I think, right? And yeah. he he, you know, he takes her on a, takes her on an evening stroll. You know, they're looking at the stars together. Um, mm. but he doesn't sleep with her or if he does, it's it's certainly, you know, it's it's only implied. Um, yeah, but he's definitely doing that to an end. And, um, but he, but, you know, to compare it to James Bond, when James Bond would use his sexuality to get to the next step in the, in the process, he would always go to bed with them, you know? I mean, he would kind of take it that far. And Kirk doesn't do that. And Bones even kind of makes a joke at the end, like, you know, hey, you, you sort of had a thing with her and, and it's clear that he that Kirk, uh, you know, is is you know felt felt more, you know, respectable in the end. But I think that's sort of been forgotten when we reflect back,
3: mm. or really like flattened mm. down because he felt something for her, and it was definitely like complicated, but like not for her necessarily in any kind of romantic sense.
2: Right, right, yeah. It's 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 kind of neat. The 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 moment that I'm thinking of. Which, uh, you know, I, you did not write about, but when I sort of think about my own experiences with, you know, this this phenomenon of Kirk Drift, because when I watched the original <laughs> series as a kid, I don't know that I was as clued into, and this was a long time ago, when I started watching Star Trek was just around when Star Trek IV was in theaters. <laughs> and um, when kirk is romancing jillian uh what the heck is dr jillian blah 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 the the, the, the marine biologist i forget her name dr jillian mm-hmm. somebody um didn't strike me as uncouth or like or or like gratuitous it just felt like you know it just felt like any other movie you know like any other pg movie that i would have seen as a kid at the time but in star trek six when they're in Del- delta vega when they're in the um Penal Colony, not the um, the penal colony, the Klingon penal colony—is that hmm. Delta Vega or is that? Ugh, my brain is gone these days, but whatever. Aurora Pente, excuse me. Delta Vega is the other ice planet from the new movie. we getting confused. Aurora Pente, and the character of uh, so they're on
3: Hoth, right? Yeah, they're
2: on Hoth. <laughs> so uh, Iman, right, the model, and she was very hot at the time, uh, mm-hmm. is the, you know she's the space alien and blah blah blah. But so. Um, Kirk romances information out of her and there's a scene when they're in the barracks and Kirk starts smooching her and they cut to bones and he kind of almost breaks the fourth wall he kind of rolls his eyes and is like at it again you know one of those one of those lines and it killed in the theater absolutely killed in the theater and because DeForest <laughs> Kelly is great you know he can do anything but I swear to you when I saw it I'm like yeah alright I guess Kirk Makes out with the ladies a lot. I mean, but it's not like his number one thing, but you know, the audience ate it up, and then it was like, yeah, Kirk's always screwing around with the aliens. And as you point out, he doesn't have that many relations. You know, don't get me wrong, he doesn't make out with women a lot in the show, but it's not that many aliens. They're usually. They're always humanoid. You know, they don't have blue skin or green skin or anything, right? It's, uh.
3: Yeah. I mean, it is a bit like generous to say in the wiki page, like, oh, he loves women of all shapes and sizes. And it's like, I've seen him date blondes <laughs> who are between five, six, and five, eight, who are all like size 10 or under. I don't know where this all like colors and creeds business comes from.
2: Right, right. I mean, but then by the time we get to the reboots, Mm. There's a little bit of that. Uh, there's the scene in uh, in the first movie. Uh, mm. He's with an Orion slave girl, Rachel, blah blah blah, is the actress's name, uh, Galia. She's O'Hora's um, yeah. uh, roommate, and it's <laughs> clear that there is a. I would call that a regular. You know, they have a relationship. It's not. Uh, it's not like it's a drunken one night stand. They clearly are dating the two of them, right? Even though he does hit on Ohura in the bar and then in star trek into darkness which is a motion picture i'm not particularly fond of and neither are you there is the <laughs> moment when he is uh, in bed with two cations right the uh, the cat ladies from uh hmm. the origin from the um from the anime series lieutenant moress the only time i think it's
3: particularly Killerly interesting though in terms of like, okay, yes, he, he is definitely up with the cat ladies But isn't it weird that he gets with Amon at the time when he should be so lucky Like at the time when Kirk couldn't pull, you know, a straw out of a bag of them um, like here's William Shatner is getting with Amon. Coincidentally at the same time when a lot of sort of Nostalgia viewers are especially interested in like proofs of declining masculinity getting it right you know like that they too could get with
2: him on right um, it was definitely a bit of a wish fulfillment perhaps i mean because star trek 2 is the great middle age movie right that's the mm-hmm. that's the male menopause movie that's a you know allegedly and there we go four more movies and he's getting it on with him on now now in 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 captain kirk's defense she was kind of using him because she was gonna double cross him yeah but be that as a mate <laughs> again Bones does turn to the camera and he's like "Ugh!" yeah again with the kissy and it does face It
3: dovetail as well with like you know Shatner's own sort of uh, you know advancing age But also advancing sort of prominence in like con scenes and the increasing development of the kind of con industry So like by the time you get that moment, it's kind of like switch moment where Audiences are to different degrees because not everybody is there because they're a hardcore nerd like becoming aware of Shatner as a person, and not just Shatner as a person, but Shatner as fandom is making him. Because, like, there is something really interesting and almost kind of, like, dangerous about taking somebody who excels at performance and excels at getting audience reactions and putting them in a room of people who say, we love you and we want you to perform for us all the time. Like as a lifestyle, we want a lot of access to you. We want you to perform yourself.
2: Right. Um, We want want you to be kind of the nutty guy who'll say anything to the point that when one of the most ill-advised television shows in modern time, uh, shit my dad says, which was based off a Twitter feed, Mm. obviously the guy you want as the crazy guy who older guy who, say anything is William Shatner I mean it's a perfect alignment um the show only lasted a few episodes because it was I mean I never saw it but it was probably (laughs) unwatchable but you make a really interesting point and there's another and you you know there's a there's a through line there was Trek then there was the end of Trek there was T.J. Hooker which was a standard Mm. uh standard 70s cop show Then the movies come back, um, but you know Shatner's still kind of holding on of like, no, 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 I'm a thespian. You know, I used to do Shakespeare in Canada. You know, give me a break. And then, uh, then he's got his own pride. Then he's doing the rescue nine one one bit. But then once he got cast on Boston Legal, oh Mm. no! Before Boston Legal was the Priceline ads. He was the pitch man for Priceline, in which he was a maniac. I mean, that was his shtick, is that he would Mm. do kung fu to kick down the prices of your flight to Hawaii. And it's, you know, he's an older guy and he's, you know, to, you know, it's kind of funny to watch, you know, aging Captain Kirk kick down your savings. So it was a joke. And then Priceline ads led to uh, Boston Legal, where I believe his character was. He had some kind of kind of a mental issue where he would shout things out. Right, he just couldn't contain himself. Yeah,
3: I think he was having some dementia related right. issues
2: potentially. Right, you never knew when he was losing his mind or when he was being brilliant. That was sort of the shtick, mm. and that leads us to the Shatner of today, which is um, you know he just goes to cons. Well, now he's a little bit on the boring side, but five years ago he was still very entertaining. He would go to cons and just be a wild man, and and that was his that was his gimmick. Um, there was an there's another aspect of I don't even want to call it Kirk drift I want to call it Star Trek drift and mm. you'll see this a little bit in the Batman world too which is uh when, you know in the original series Khan was just one of the villains then Star Trek 2 the Wrath of Khan brings Khan back and it was great mm. Star Trek 2 was brilliant but now it's like you know, Captain Kirk versus Khan, like it's a battle to the end of time, and it's like no, it's just that's just one of his many foils. You know, it's not like yeah, it's not like uh, Batman versus the Joker. You know, it's like those are those are you know are you know uh, antagonists for forever, and yeah. part of that has to do with the joke of the kitschiness of Ricardo Montalban and also shouting Khan, which because I'm old yeah. enough to remember. Kids did not shout "Con, Con!" They didn't do that when the movie came out, and they didn't do that for the few years after. It happened later. Somebody had the brilliant idea to to mock that, and it's very entertaining. And then it was on Seinfeld. They did a shtick, and now, and I'm not you know I'm not saying this is a bad thing, but now when you go to conventions it's even like a thing that we do is like who can shout con the greatest most like William Shatner and if you do you win a prize I mean I have personally led those competitions and they're a great deal of fun but it is weird that it's that's kind of a new revelation in the grand scheme of things yeah. it was not part of when the movie came out so this is a phenomenon that happens a lot or is this something that only happens with Star Trek what do you think
3: I think definitely a lot like the, the central thing of shouting con is that for the person who made the parody or the people who adapted it like the key thing is you have to forget the joke like you have to unknow or unremember that Kirk is bullshitting when he says that
2: <laughs> Right. right um, yeah.
3: and like you have to believe that it's not supposed to be a parody of acting but it's supposed to be you know the actuality of Shatner's acting when Shatner like People change so much over the years, but, you know, and I can't, like, sort of swear to him being, like, eternally anything, but he has been at certain points of his life actually a really good actor. Yeah. Um, and I think it's interesting that, like, a- and disheartening for him that we're willing to forget that in a way. And in a way, he's sort of like your, your first line victim of Kirkdrift because he has to sort of, like, live in people's opinions about what his performance is like and things of that nature. And he doesn't sort of ever get to escape from it. Yeah. He's and it's so connected into like what he must think of himself.
2: Well, I'm I mean, there's there's great money in Kirk Drift Kirk, right? I mean, there's there's oh, a yeah. whole career there. I mean, you couldn't be, you know, you couldn't get the gig of shit my dad says, which I'm sure, even though it was a short-lived television show, was a great windfall for him, or even Boston Legal. Or some of the yeah. ads he does now if it wasn't for people thinking he was the madman who screamed Khan and slept okay. with green aliens, neither of which were true. And and just to, in case there are listeners who didn't kind of pick up on what you're saying, in Star Trek 2, Kirk screams Khan that loudly and that over the top because he has to convince Khan that he's truly trapped him in uh, the Genesis planet so that he'll go away. When in actuality, he knows that Spock's going to pick him up in just a few hours. Mm. So it, it is a put on and it is a kind of layered moment with kind of layers of acting in there. And yeah, there's some great acting moments, um, particularly in the films uh, from Shatner. I mean, Star Trek Three, when when his son gets killed and he kind of falls off the chair, that's a really great moment. And um, yeah. the end of Star Trek, all of Star Trek Two is great. Star Trek Two is a masterpiece, you know, so... Um, <laughs> It, it is uh it, it is kind of neat. Uh, in in your piece, to bring it back to that, you do kind of list um, you know, the relationships that he has had and not any of them, I don't think were what you would consider quote unquote womanizing relationships. He's actually a pretty, in your read of it, a pretty stand-up dude, right?
3: Yeah, I mean, we could say potentially that at times the way he uses his sexuality to get out of problems is, you know, arguably sketchy. But that's a completely different debate than, you know, is he a womanizer? Like, do you agree with that specific tactic in that situation? Is a way more, you know, judgment call kind of thing.
2: So the, the overall question I have is what, what – Why? Why do you think this happened? Like, was this? Is there? Are there nefarious forces (laughs) making this happen? And I don't mean like uh, you know like conspiracy theories, but like you know you write about uh, like I say this is a a, a, like I said it's a half pop culture journalism, half uh, you know academic uh, piece that you've written. So uh, what's the word? You don't need the word for patriarchy, which I had to look up. There's uh, uh, one better than patriarchy. Is that what it's called?
3: You know what? It's one of those words that I only hear at conferences pronounced by people with wildly different accents and only see written down. So I will cop to my incredible ignorance. I have no idea whether it's hierarchy or hierarchy. It may be one of those things like Keynesian economics where somebody will stare you dead in the eye and say Keynesian. You're just supposed to accept that.
2: Well, kiriarchy is a word that I've seen before, uh, but it wasn't until I reread your piece last night that I finally looked it up. It comes from the Greek. I knew it came from the Greek of Kyrie, like kiriolaison, but I never actually knew what it meant. So it just means the man, but it doesn't have to mean men-man, right? Am I, did I get it right? It means the, the, yeah, the no, system. Yeah, no,
3: it's a really great flexible term because it's just all that shit. Right. It's when you want to say the man, but you have too many degrees to do it. <laughs>
2: Oh, that's funny! Um, all right, so the hierarchy—the man wants Kirk Drift. Why do they want Kirk Drift? I have you tell me your theory. I'll tell you my theory. You go first.
3: <laughs> okay, so um, I think there are probably a few reasons working in concert, um, and it is easier to sell the idea of Star Trek films and then successive Star Trek series predicated on the loose associative nostalgia of people who don't necessarily remember the text very well, but sort of remember bits of it. They remember tribbles, they remember something about beating up. And so if you kind of like, get the vague idea of what happened, that's actually better for people who haven't seen it, because it makes them feel a bit in the know and in on the joke. But it doesn't ask them to sort of like, have seen it or remember it or do any of that work also you can stage more action hero set pieces that are better suited perhaps if you're not very imaginative to a 90-minute movie um so you can have picard inexplicably you know carrying a sort of space ak-47 and stripping down even though patrick stewart is an older gentleman and you know there's not really much reason for that um because you have a Star Trek movie. Also, there's some stuff to do with foreign markets, where you want to market a science fiction action adventure movie to a global population, only some of whom have any fucking idea who these people are. Um, so you want to trade in the branding, but to be able to export a product that you see as being more universal. Um, and it can't be ignored that a lot of American action films now do get specific money from collaboration with the U.S. government. Like uh, the Transformers movies, for example, are heavily funded by this. Um, they do giant special effects scenes using those uh, like equipment pieces and um, bases and such at cost. And it's been an enormous budget saver for them. And so not this particular franchise, because it doesn't fit in that well, I don't believe um, in any respect. But, you know, there are a lot of movies that become more geared in their reboots, like Hulk and things like that, being action-adventure movies, because that is a a, a cheap savings.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting. It's not... I don't think there was like a there was never like a council of 12 in a shadowy room saying we're yeah. going to we're going to manipulate public uh collective unconscious about Kirk like this. But I do think that when the snowball got rolling mm. it, it was pushed along by producers, marketers because yeah. it's easy it, it was a product that was easy to sell because it's it's funny, particularly the further along we got from the 60s and you could capitalize on the kitsch because I mean listen when Star Trek original series was produced it was one of the most expensive television Mm. shows ever those special effects were state of the art for television and this was part of the big problem of the first... You can
3: tell because of how much better it looks than what Britain is doing at a similar time
2: frame. Like <laughs> oh, absolutely. It looks yeah. like it's
3: from, you know, 30 years in the future. Right. I like mean, Britain would not have those effects till the 80s.
2: Right, right. Well, let's, you know, those poor Daleks, the garbage cans on wheels. But um, the, the, the um, yes, so season one, I mean, most of its problems production-wise were like, they need more time to make the, the effects. That's why uh, episode one that was shot didn't get aired till number eight because they were still working on the special effects. So at the time, they were very, very high-end. By the time you get to the 80s, when I was a little kid and I was watching Star Trek and my, you know, uh, bullying alleged friends at school would mock me, be like, oh, that show's so uh, so lame. Uh, You know, you could see like the set is made of styrofoam. You know, those are supposed to be another planet, it's styrofoam. And that was like, for whatever reason, the big deal at the time was that it was so cheap looking. Um, And you can't deny that the year. I mean, now it's retro chic and all that. But um, yes, and the the costumes did, they look like, you know, velour because they were velour, right? So, you know, what are you going to do? I mean, mixed in with that is
3: like the fact that the 60s now looks old. So stuff that looked cutting art, like we think we've saved ourselves from that in some way, but we will look exactly that bad in 20 years. Right. Stuff that looks cool because it looks modern will look stupid in 20 years because you went too
2: modern with it. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Um, So I I think, uh, yeah, so the kitsch factor is always going to be a part of it. But this was sort of leaning into it, it as like, yeah, but it's funny because they were he was out there screwing around with, with green ladies. And as your piece argues, and again, I mean, we talk around it. What people should do that are even slightly interested in this is just go to strangehorizons.com or just go to Google and type in Kirk Drift and you're the number one response on that, I'm sure. Um or if you're not number one, it'll be one of the many places that wrote about your piece. So I do want to ask you about that. You throw you think you think about this piece for you write at the end that it it stood in the back of your head for four years. You talked about it in pubs with your friends, and then you finally wrote the damn thing, and then it did cause a little bit of a of a of some noise. I mean, I was being speaking a little hyperbolic before about how it tore up the, the world, but no, it was a bit of a big deal. It got written up a lot. So what was your experience with that like?
3: Um, well thankfully uh because it's so long they could not be bothered to scroll up they could not look up my name and find me on twitter so that's my mercy
2: (laughs) you know that's very funny it's sad but it's funny and also i'm sure very true that's that's so because yeah people any you know you write anything and people are they want to just yell at the person Mm. you know and tell you that you're an idiot so uh that is that's is good so you you but but there was there was a lot of praise as well that was what i'm trying to say yeah 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 definitely right. that was
3: pleasant but you don't really ever know what to do with that you just feel like you know because there's a lot of like well i agree with this much of it but and then you're sort of I got trapped for a solid month reading about myself and thinking, this is productive because I'm going to use it to make notes if I ever publish a collection of essays. But of course, that was like a bullshit excuse for like looking at yourself on Reddit every day,
2: seeing if <laughs>
3: anybody else has made like one slight comment about an episode off cut that you need to look into.
2: Right, right, right. Aaron, tell people what, uh, what else you've, you've written and what else you're working on right now.
3: Um, I am writing another column about um, something kind of related to this because I'm talking about the ways perceptions of actors have changed over a couple decades and I'm thinking about like Doctor Who as well as Star Trek and I'm thinking a lot about um, the ways we kind of expect actors to be interpreters of their characters um, and to sort of be unchanged perfect sources of like production information for 30 years oh. when it's like getting somebody on a psychiatrist couch like nobody is quite as bad uh, a source of information about themselves as that very person like you will be getting some information but you will be getting information that's wholly bound up in somebody's idea of their own career and things of that nature
2: and and also frequently still uh in the in the mode of public of um of self-promotion Oh, yeah, if you like
3: we kind of have an idea of like the unmediated like We will be getting some idea of who tom hiddleston is by watching these interviews And you know to a degree maybe in 1982 that was truer. um, but like the publicity Machine has advanced to such a degree that you are always watching something performative. Yeah, and is that celebrification? necessarily good for the artist as you point out it gives them career opportunities in a lot of cases but we also sort of like watch a britney spears breakdown and nod like oh yeah well that was coming and it's like isn't it a little weird that we kind of not just with a me too situation but very related to that we kind of just accept all of this as like, well, that's what you get when you want to be an artist in public. Yeah,
2: yeah. yeah. Well, you know, it's funny you mention that because right now there's a couple things come to mind. Maybe about a week ago, there was a really uh, interesting print profile on Brendan Fraser that got a... Oh, yes, I read that. Yeah, got a tremendous amount of praise because it was one of the things that happens rarely, which is an actor or an actress or director, writer, whomever somebody in the public eye uh, has really nothing to lose and so really does, or at least appears to, sort of bear it all. Say, look, this is what's mm. going on in my head. This is how I screwed up. This is why I'm not in good films anymore. Uh, mm. And just sort of bears their soul. And um, and the result is always like, holy cow, this is the thing that you really want to read right now. Um, but those things come like once every six weeks or so so it's almost like a thing like oh you know what you need to do is you need to find you know somebody to do a really good profile on you and just sort of like lay it all Mm. out there and then it'll help you bring your career back you know and i'm not saying that do you remember
3: that bit when like voltaire writes his autobiography right and he's like i'm gonna lay it all open for you man i'm gonna tell you about how i got spanked as a child man it's crazy shit nobody's ever gonna be so fucking real ever again <laughs> <laughs> it's like becomes the template for like how you do tell autobiography yeah, um, yeah but you're so right it is like i i was almost suspicious of it for that very reason yeah. and i sort of like resent the the ways that uh, you're asked to sort of like I mean, what what does this piece want from me? Does it want me to sort of click on the piece or share it or feel bad for Brendan Fraser or support his B-level movie roles coming in the future? Like,
2: right. I think, um, I mean, first of all, Brendan Fraser's who who knows? I mean, his, his motivations could be entirely pure. I mean, he seems like a very nice guy, yeah. right? Um, I actually met Brendan Fraser once, and he was, in fact, a very nice guy. And I'm not yeah. all celebrities are. Um, so who the heck knows, but yeah, what what really is the end goal? I think at some point is like you know, some manager of of celebrity careers is like this is this is one of the stepping stones to get you back mm. in a in a good place and and you'll get roles that'll make you more money or at least you know, give you more pride or but more people will watch. I mean, he's he's on a cable show now that I never heard of until I read this piece. So
3: but now we've heard of now it. Now we've heard
2: of it exactly. Um, and another thing that's happening, like right now, is uh, Jennifer Lawrence, who's a who's a Pandora's box of this type of thinking: celebrity versus reality. Particularly mm. because she really came of age with the Hunger Games films, which is all about media manipulation, right? I mean, that's how they get yeah. their bows and arrows is by making the public love them and being "quote unquote" real. And Jennifer Lawrence was the realist of the real because she would trip on the uh, steps and she would eat French fries Mm. and burp and stuff like that. So, um, but you know, her new movie, apparently I have not seen red Sparrow um, Mm. is abysmal. Everybody hates it. Mm. And it's apparently uh, many critics think, and you know, you can Google and and read other critics that it is um, has retrograde attitudes towards feminism. But Lawrence uh, is, is promoting this film as her, personal reclamation of when she was, um, if you recall, and I kind of forgot this happened, uh, there was a leak of nude photos of hers that went all over the internet, and she felt yeah. ver- she felt very violated by that, of course, so her recourse is to make this film in which there's a lot of nudity, so I'm told, and um, many feminist critics are like, this movie is not feminist at all, it's very retrograde. But she's on uh, t- every interview she gives. Like this was my way of taking that back. So, well, you know, if, she, if that's how she feels, then th- that's what she wants to do, right? I mean, that's fine. But you know, where do you when do you want to critique the movie? Where do you stand? I mean, I haven't seen it, so I don't really have an opinion. But it it was a fascinating disconnect between what most critics were responding to in the text, as as people who are. Uh, studying at Mm. the University of Glasgow like to say in the text, Um, but uh, you know, in reality people were like, oh, give me a break, you know Um, Mm. I think some of that has to do with the fact that there's a huge Jennifer Lawrence uh, uh, backlash happening right now because one cannot be a young, beautiful, popular woman for too long in this culture before they are smacked down again, I don't know but we'll see. Well,
3: or anything even like you know, there is that thing where if you were even vaguely uh, Well, okay, so if you have some kind of, like, internet position of any kind, like, you cannot go on too long without having everybody, like, praise you beyond your merits, and then, like, falling below your desserts. It's, like, a sort of, like, capitalist boom and bust cycle in people's feelings, because they don't really know how to respond to people without that or something like it or you want people who are public intellectuals to be like personalities available to you and commodities in that way you don't want to just have it be like look this person can sit down and they can write their book but they are not necessarily going to be like you know it's not like mcdonald's you can't go into everyone in the country and order a big mac they are not always going to sort of like have the content you want and to have that all be of a uniform quality
2: Aaron who's a celebrity that you think is doing it right? That's that's uh, that's out there that is not You know manipula-
3: manipulative. I do I just I don't really want necessarily to like have that relationship with anybody because it's so like the whole parasocial relationship thing where like somebody is kind of your friend or kind of your mentor, but they're also not a real person to you. And they're also supposed to be sort of like, I don't know, performing really well at something that's not their field. Like we want people who have not finished college to express their ideas with like, a a sort of clarity that it would take you, you know, three years in that field to get and to sort of be like, trained and qualified activists. And it's like, You you can't ask that of most people, let alone people who, you know, for field related reasons, especially true of women, like have to start work at something like 17 and, you know, do not really get a chance to like develop themselves as they might wish to do in other educational
2: spheres. It's a good point. I mean, I think to use Jennifer Lawrence example again, I'm nothing against her. Um, Right. She, I think dropped out of high school, right? I mean, she started acting very, very young. Mm. and has been doing this for a while I mean I think Yeah. I mean
3: listen and we I also throw them in movies with guys who are like 20 years older than them I mean. <laughs> and it's like okay so what is your like equal opinion here as adults and it's like well you know that woman is an adult however like that guy has had more time to mature as an actor and it's like well he's a stronger performer here than she is and it's like yes because he has 20 more years experience
2: right. <laughs> you know it's, it's a double-edged sword because I agree like let actors be actors. Uh, maybe we don't need to look to them for opinions about, you know, politics or social issues. Not that you want to censor them in any way, but um, it, it's also like you know, if we like these people on screen or on stage, you do kind of want to know what makes them tick. You know, I mean, there's like there's like a musicians especially. I mean, there you know there are some. Mm. You know, I'm a. I'll, I'll humiliate myself before you. I'm a huge fan of the band Fish, which uh, you know I'm sure you want to hang up right now. But I'm a huge fan of the, of the band Fish. So like when one of those guys gives an opinion on something, I'm like, oh, I'm like, yeah, whatever you guys need, I'll 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 I'll, I'll sign up. I'll, and they rarely do. They're pretty smart, actually. Um, they don't really get into, they don't even really talk much during their concerts. you know. And when they do, it's like a big deal. Like, oh my God, they told a joke. Holy cow. So, um, you know, I get that. And, uh, you know, there is such a huge love of celebrity in our culture right now. And the other thing that's annoying is that whenever an actor does say something political, it's usually something to the left most of the time. So when they say something like, oh, we should ban assault rifles, you always get these right-wing knuckleheads. They're like, shut up and act who asked you you know and then it's like ugh, you don't want to be that guy because you you don't want to be the shut up and act because these are citizens they have a right to say whatever they want yeah but but i
3: mean the fundamental issue is that they're full people and that like of course they're going to sort of have a right to these opinions but then also they're going to say something like dumb like your aunt on facebook (laughs) I'm like, does your aunt on Facebook? I'm sorry, I hate your memes, Aunt Cindy. Right, 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 Really deserve, you know?
2: Right, and then what happens is when when these are people, and and people make mistakes, and they're and they have opinions that don't always fit into a box. So when a, a celebrity does do something that is wrong, quote unquote, they oh, uh, he's canceled now, she's canceled now, yeah, you're yeah. canceled, and it's tough, and it's tough. Also, I got to say. Uh, the recent uh, Time's Up movement is, uh, there's a lot of, like, people that w- we loved, uh, I loved personally, that I'm like, oh, shit, you know, what does it say about me? You know, it's like, I, I re- you know, I like Roman Polanski's movies. I like Woody Allen's movies a lot. You know, um, I like... Uh, you know, uh, the dude from Steely Dan was, uh, you know, not the dead guy, the other guy from Steely Dan. Like, he shoved his wife. and, and she, From beyond the grid. Right, yeah. The dude from Steely Dan shoved his wife and knocked her into a table and she had to go to the hospital. It's like, oh, my God. What do I do? Do I stop listening to him? Do I? Uh, and some people would say yes. Some people would say uh, well, they shouldn't. Some, some people think, um, unless, you know, some people think that, uh, you know, Roman Polanski, pretty bad guy. I think we can all agree to that. Had a weird life, though. I mean, he, he suffered a lot before he uh, uh, we don't normally talk about these types of heavy issues on the podcast. But today we will talk about it. the guy raped a 13 year old girl. It's pretty, it a pretty loathsome thing to do. Uh, earlier in his life, he escaped the Nazis. Uh, he was in a in the in the woods where Nazis were shooting at his feet and telling him to dance. Uh, then his yeah. wife was murdered in one of the most gruesome and child yeah. uh, wife and unborn child was killed by the Manson family in the most famous murders of the century. And um, so Guy had a effed up life. And then he also did this uh, uh, terrible thing in the 70s. And because it was the 70s, he kind of sort of got a pass. He went to Europe And he made movies for a long time, and then kind of recently, it's like maybe that guy is to use the phrase I just used a moment ago. Maybe he's canceled. Maybe Roman Polanski shouldn't make any more movies, and and maybe he shouldn't. You know, I mean, like because there are a lot of other people that want to make movies. Why why does he get to do it? So Mm. I get it. You know, I completely get it. I mean, a lot of his you know Rosemary's Baby is a masterpiece. Funny thing is, Rosemary's Babies is considered a feminist masterpiece, and here he is as a rapist. So you're the Mm. what do you think about that? Let me ask you
3: i mean what do you do with like american psycho as well where like easton ellis is a wanker but like it was directed by a really competent feminist director so like where do you like ultimately land on american psycho i don't know
2: yeah i never liked that movie so (laughs) (laughs) it doesn't affect me (laughs) but i see your point i mean yeah where where that guy really is a, a a big knucklehead and uh a lot of people love his books, and and what do you do? You know Orson Scott Card is mm. a, a, a. I like his his work, um, but he yeah. his political opinions do not jibe with mine. Yeah. So I have recently I wanted to read more of his stuff. I I made it a, 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 a damn sure to buy them used. <laughs> That's I mean that's I feel like that's a pretty good uh pretty good Suck third on way. Not Orson. Yeah, it's like I mean that like, oh, listen what one extra purchase at barnesandnoble.com isn't going to mm-hmm. get him the yacht he wants, but the guy's kind of a putz. But I never yeah. read uh Speaker of the Dead. I always wanted to read that one. Yeah. And I was on Amazon. I'm like, nope, I'm going to the marketplace, finding it for he must be really
3: frustrated though at being like the lesser Orson. Like he knows he can never be Orson Welles, So there's only <laughs> like, a few Orson slots more calling Orson.
2: We're call- we're calling Orson. more we calling Orson. Well, listen. Uh, we got into some thorny topics today. <laughs> I'm glad we did. i I think uh, do you have any uh, parting thoughts on Kirk Drift other than go read your essay and um, also follow you on Twitter at. Hold on, I wrote this down. It's, oh
3: no, I don't know if I'd advise that
2: one. No, you should. <laughs> I follow you on Twitter. You're a blast. You're you're a scream. Um, your Twitter handle is uh e. So it's more of a munch's scream, but it's e Horakova. E H O R A K O V A. Now uh, you're you in you're in London right now. Yes. You're studying at Glasgow. Mm. You, have <laughs> you have an American accent. British Isles. You have an American accent. Yes. Where are you from originally? Missouri. No joke. Missouri. What part of Missouri? With
3: the uh, Columbia.
2: Oh, yeah. I know. That's where the college is. That's a big place. Yeah. Um, but uh, so you wait. So you're a, a Jewish American Southerner living in London, studying in Glasgow, and you've got a Czech last name. Yes. Awesome. And uh the accents over the O and the A are not called accent uh goo because it's not French, it's Czech. What are oh, those it's accents two called? A's
3: and I think they're diacritical marks, which I think is the catch-all name for if you got a squiggly, <laughs>
2: if it's wiggly. There you go. Are umlauts diacritical marks too?
3: I think they are. I think Aaron, it might be anything that makes you feel fresh and funky.
2: Aaron, why you gotta be so critical?
3: I don't know. I'm
2: just <laughs> diacritical. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, listen. So uh, we could read your work at Strange Horizons and elsewhere. Uh, you've written. You write fiction as well. And we can follow you on Twitter at ehorakova. Um, this is great. I'd love for you to come back on again, and we could talk about weighty topics at some point. We don't know when we have to talk sure, about. Sure.
3: And I've successfully dodged telling you anything about Discovery. So.
2: Oh yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. You you are. You, you can't <laughs> the end do of the interview. It's too late now. No, no, no. All you're gonna say. You haven't watched it yet, right? Or you hate it? Yeah. yeah. Or you haven't watched it?
3: I have not watched it, but I prepared a bullet-pointed answer as to why. <laughs> no, we were coming, so I baked a cake. Oh, oh well, that's. The...
2: <laughs> it, I thought my understanding, Aaron, because you did email me and say you hadn't watched it. My response was going to be like, "She hasn't had time." Like I get it; not everybody can jump immediately. And why you're a busy person. You also work at a library, right? I follow you on Twitter, so you you had some images. You were you were moving shelves. Oh around God, recently. that
3: um, that's my house.
2: Oh, <laughs> I thought that was a library. I honestly did I have
3: spent a whole week cataloging all two thousand of our books and zines and things of that nature.
2: <laughs> you're into the you're into the physical media. You're not into the the e-books and whatnot.
3: I mean, in part, I've been, this is the thing, when you do academic books, people are like, why don't you just do the ebook?" And mm. it's like, listen, you bastard, this translation never come out since 1955. Dorothy <laughs> Sayers wrote five copies, and I got one of them.
2: Okay. So there's, uh, so what system do you have for a library in your home? Do you, do you use, uh, is it all alphabetical? Is it done by, by topic?
3: It has been many things in its time. It has been alphabetical. It has been color organized for an ill-conceived year. Mm -hmm. Um, And now it is by theme, but mixing reference material and fiction (laughs) in. So if you go to the Victorian section, you'll find all of the Dickens, but you'll also find all of the books about the Dickens.
2: Right, uh, all the Dickens. But but what's annoying about that though is like if something is just like a little pamphlet, it's stuck in between thicker books. It's gonna be hard to find. Yeah, it.
3: yeah. Then you're screwed.
2: Yeah, my, my
3: girlfriend came downstairs this morning, and I was like, all of these scripts and zines need some kind of folder. <laughs> She's like, good eight a.m. to you as well.
2: <laughs> um, my wife uh, hasn't. Bu- we we do color coded in our home. That was mm. the solution because she. Uh, said so. So I said, yes, ma'am. That's the answer. But it looks nice. It starts yellow and yeah. then it goes to red and orange and, and eventually ends black. And I guess it starts white. It starts white and then gets color coded in the middle. Um, but if you don't, I sort of have a visual brain, so I will remember the spine. Mm. If I want to read something, I'll remember that it has a blue spine and I'll look for it in blue. Luckily, but a lot of people's mm. brains don't work that way. And if it's not alphabetical or by theme, it's just by color, It's once it's in there, it's just lost, you know? Yeah, it's, it's gone it's, uh, forever.
3: No, my most annoying thing about that, when I tried to do it, was that way too many people think that it's sexy to have a black book jacket. And so uh, you're like, and here are my four black shelves. <laughs> Welcome to the golf corner. Right,
2: exactly. Your spells and hacks and stuff and whatever. Um, all right. So, what is? So, it wasn't just lack of time. You haven't you you haven't watched Discovery on purpose. So, what is your bullet proof, your bullet uh, pointed response?
3: Oh God, if we're gonna do this, yeah, let's do okay. it.
2: Okay, Ms. Horakova, why have you not watched Discovery yet? And you're in Britain, so it's free. You don't even have a choice. Assuming you get Netflix, it is
3: free. I could watch it for free. I could also watch Annihilation. I think because uh, they haven't put it up in theaters
2: here. Yeah, it's a good movie.
3: Yeah, it's coming for me. Um, I, I vaguely feel I should read the book first. I no, think you I shouldn't. Know. It's no, one no. of those things where, like, uh, I, I think I know the person who wrote it, but I haven't read their book. And so I have to, like, pretend that I have and I, I,
2: I would recommend so, I, I haven't you, read the book. And everybody who read the book before this the movie was disappointed. But they're right. also very, very you different.
3: movie first.
2: I do, because th- the book and the movie are very, very different, and they don't even have similar mm. plot points. It's a, the, he, the Alex Garland, the writer-director, took took merely a soup of the idea and mm. put it to film. So I, um, my my suggestion is to just go first and then, yeah. and then double back. I mean, sometimes
3: you got, like, I'm not necessarily into that kind of purism that's like, oh, you have to, like, have an adaptation that is absolutely faithful. Like, no. sometimes that really doesn't serve the
2: medium. I concur. Uh, yeah. 2001 Space Odyssey is a great example of they're two separate things that live side by side. Uh, you're prevaricating. You're not telling me why you haven't watched Discovery yet.
3: <laughs> I was hoping I could get out of it. No. <laughs> um, all right. So, <clears throat> point one, I feel I don't do very good critical work when I haven't digested something, but also that the very imperative, the advertising dominated take cycle when something's just out make it hard for me to see it clearly as a viewer and make enjoying it more difficult. People say all kinds of crap based off the transmedia environment and others' reactions. And sitting there with Wonder Woman is a feminist awakening in my head makes a subpar film abysmal for me because, of course, it couldn't equal that hype. I dislike getting made into an unpaid PR contractor via social media, and I dislike the social pressure too. I like, could get an iteration of something because I'm in the fandom. It feels like booster journalism.
2: That's hardcore. So yeah. you. So, but now that it's in. Uh the the show is in hiatus. Now is when you could watch it though, right? Cuz it's not it's Well,
3: I might think about it. I can wait entire years on things. When I like finally like rage quit broke up with Doctor Who, people were like, "You'll cave. It's everything to you. You'll come back." I have not been back since.
2: Wow. It's been years. Well, I mean, look, uh I get the um exhaustion from Take culture, uh, mm. which is 97% complete phony, uh, easy and very shallow reads, uh, unlike mm. the work you'll find at Strangehorizons.com. Um, <laughs> it, it is very I mean, the, the 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 and many of these outlets I work for, they're just garbage, it's just sort of the hot takes is literally the term hot takes came from sports, right? It's sports writers who would you know the game would end, and they'd immediately think about you know what what they just saw with no reflection at all, and clearly that is anathema to your lifestyle. But you know you don't. I don't know what to tell you. I mean, you can kind of tur- just like turn away from it and just watch. The, yeah. I mean, part of me wants I mean, to say I just wish, watch. The I wish game
3: I thing. were better at because you know you can sit there intellectually being like i don't care about that i have decided not to but i am really really bad like actually following through on something i think because it's like all right i I will decide not to care that you didn't get you know an acceptance on that fiction story or whatever because it doesn't matter and you know it doesn't matter but then like three days later it's like but why
2: So how do you how do you engage with uh, any uh, mainstream? Is it just because Star Trek is too close to you? I mean, you know w- that's another thing. Like uh, you know,
3: somebody was like, "Oh, I see, I hear from so and so that you don't like Doctor Who, but I'm a big fan. I've seen this whole season. I know the characters' names. So yeah, you know, that's 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 what I'm going to talk about." And it's like, oh God, like. You feel like Hamlet and like Ophelia's lying there and somebody's like, I met Ophelia. She was nice.
2: What of it? <laughs> um, but so but so uh, but but seriously, though, I mean, so but, so, any how do you watch any movies or television show? Because they're all part of the sort of the journalism uh, hot take yeah. stuff. I mean, you mentioned uh, Wonder Woman, uh, you know, sort of the, or Black Panther is another one that's so politically mm-hmm. Uh, it has so much uh, political weight to it or, or sociological stuff to it. Um, of course, you take it. You take your nephew to Black Panther and I'm like, ah, hey, it's great. It's a cat, you know, running mm. around killing people. So, um, <laughs> as cats do, right? So, what um, you know, what what? How do you how do you negotiate these waters? You know, outside of Star Trek, or is it becoming increasingly difficult for you?
3: It really is, um, and also there are some things about prestige television as a medium that I really dislike. Um, And you kind of forget that there's any other way to do things until you're watching like stuff being made right now out of like China or Korea. And then you're like, oh my God, this is so interested in different sort of like prerogatives and aesthetic regimes than what we're doing. And I didn't really realize it was possible to do that. Um, So I don't know that I feel like a big loss over not watching a ton of current television. That's the other thing, like there's a big like sort of novelty fixation in a way, but I don't really need to see what's coming out this year. Like people have finally shut up about what came out like 2 years ago, right, so right, you can watch right. that now.
2: <laughs> there is some truth to that for sure. I mean, there's a lot of that with music. I mean, you could spend the rest of your life only listening to music recorded before 1972. <laughs> I mean, yeah. there's so much. There's so much material. Um, if if you fought, if you are intrigued by you know quote unquote world music, you could only listen to music from Indonesia for the rest of your life. I mean, there's so much yeah. material um, that you know. And just,
3: if you like things about how that genre operates, you could have like a really rich experience. You would not be missing out by yeah. only listening to Indonesian music.
2: Right. You know? Right. Um, so you, you, I understand what you're saying. I think you should watch Star Trek Discovery, nevertheless, because I think you would like it, because it's really cool. But if you don't want to, I'm not going to yell at you. Um, I, I get it. I get it. I mean, sometimes you just uh, you just don't want to do it. So, um, Aaron, I have enjoyed this conversation more than you'll ever know. I think you're a fascinating, very amusing and entertaining person. I mean that in the best possible way. And I want you to come back on the show whenever you have something you want to say. You let me know, and we'll get you back on here.
3: All right. It's been good to talk to you. Have a good day.
2: You know what we could do? Because uh, mm-hmm. you, you're a scholar, you seem to know a lot about Shakespeare. Right?
3: Uh, Yes, some.
2: Well, I mean, you've mentioned, uh, you know, hey. I mean, he's
3: not my diss topic, but we're homies. Like. <laughs>
2: Are you, you diss talving meaning you drop a diss track on him or dis like di- it,
3: well, yeah, I diss track or dissertation? Oh right,
2: right. Yeah, I knew that. I knew that. Because um, there's a lot of intersection of Shakespeare and Star Trek. For sure There, there is. is so much. We should talk about that we not, could talk about that i'm not giving you like homework or anything but let's 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 set something <laughs> up and let's do something. you
3: say that but i'm mentally like thinking hmm like, oh, episodes beyond conscience what could you do well
2: conscience, the king uh uh well, i mean just the titles alone there's dagger the mind yeah. there's uh star trek six is all over uh hamlet uh in king. fact it's called the undiscovered country right
3: all of the stuff, though, about Klingon reappropriation of Shakespeare is pure gold. It's very I mean, funny. That's fantastic. Yeah.
2: I think Chekhov had a line about um, Russian, right? I mean, that was the recurring gag is that, oh, it was originally Russian. But um, mm-hmm. by the way, my Chekhov sounds like Dracula. <laughs> 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 yeah, it was originally Russian. Bye. Suck your blood. Um, all right. So we're going to make a date. We're going to make that happen. I hope that's OK. OK. Good. Aaron. thank you so much for joining us. We will speak to you soon. OK. Bye. Bye.
1: Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com?